0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 4. We're in verse 42, and we're going to close out this chapter. It's been a long chapter for us, but a good one. As we look at sent for this purpose, sent for this purpose, and we want to encourage you again bring your Bible. If you need a Bible, let me know. I'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44 is going to be our text this morning. Now, last week, <clears throat> Luke immediately follows Jesus as he leaves the synagogue and visits Simeon's or Simon's house for lunch. And he ends with a long night of ministering to those in need. Now, so far in our study of his gospel, of Luke's gospel, he has recorded the eyewitness accounts that attest to both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. We have read through his conception, his baptism, his temptation, and the beginning of his tour of Galilee in teaching, healing, and preaching, and exercising demons. Now, Jesus has proclaimed that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy as the anointed one of God, That will proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight uh, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Through these events, we learn of Jesus' power over supernatural beings and sicknesses, as well as his compassion for the suffering of people. Now, as we finish off chapter 4 of Luke's uh, gospel, the good doctor summarizes Jesus' ministry as being focused on a specific person, a specific proclamation, and a specific people. With at that. Let's go into Luke chapter 4. Let's look at verse 42. And when it was day, he departed, and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Father, I pray as we come that we would take your word for what it is. It's the revelation of you, our creator. You have written it and revealed yourself that we may come to know you, to understand our purpose, to understand you And Lord, to glorify and magnify you. And we do that this morning as we tackle your word. Help us to be free from uh, many of the distractions that would keep us from hearing. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have uh, free reign. And Lord, above all, may you be glorified. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Popularity is a two-edged sword. Have you ever thought about that? Popularity is a two-edged sword. Most desire some degree of it. I would even, some crave a measure of it. Everyone wants to be loved, appreciated, and noticed. We live in a world where your worth, your value as a person is sometimes measured, or many times, I should say, measured by how many likes we get on Facebook. How many people will click the heart emoticon on our Instagram page or share our tweet we constantly are glued to our phones, checking for any and all updates that will either stroke or bruise our egos, depending on the latest results. Many dream of being popular, of being a popular YouTuber or a social media influencer or something of that case, whether it's media, it's, it's movies, it's TV, it's music, whatever. Our hearts are filled with envy and jealous jealousy of those who have what we would say have made it. We long to have that type of popularity and all the things that that popularity brings to it. But on the other hand, once it is attained, popularity that is, we find that it's a heavy burden to bear. And it's filled with headaches of all sorts. We can sometimes become exhausted trying to find something new, something fresh to maintain Our status. You can't live with the the status quo. You've got to do something better, smarter, more creative. How many times have we read of a celebrity who shares their whole life with their fans, sparing no private moments until something tragic happens and then they ask for people to give them privacy? It's pretty ironic. Or how about those that have reached a zenith of popularity that is worldwide and overwhelming? We all want to be like Mike, speaking of Michael Jordan, until we learn that he can barely go anywhere in public uh, without guards and without other people around him to protect him. Or consider Michael Jackson or even an Elvis Presley who famously had to rent out whole theme parks in order to enjoy some private time with his family and his friends. Popularity comes with a high price. I'll have to say I do not know that. I've never had a high popularity quote, but I have read that that's the case. We see here in verse 42 as Jesus' popularity is reaching this type of high point that drives him into a desolate place to gain some quiet, private quiet time alone with God. The narrative moves from the busy Sabbath where Jesus was teaching when he was interrupted by a demon to Peter's house where Jesus spent the evening healing and casting out demons from all those who came. Luke now is going to record the dust to dawn activities of Jesus after that hectic day before. It seems that Jesus is looking for some time alone to refresh himself. And we could imagine that all of the activities of the day before must have worn out that human side of Jesus. We forget that he was human. Yes, he was divine and he could heal, he could do all those supernatural things, but You've got to think of the toil on his human mind as well and his human body and his human emotions as people are, are, are suffering but yet also rejoicing. It would be natural for him to be tired, exhausted, and worn out by the constant request for his attention. To get some rest, it seems that Jesus had to leave town and travel to a desolate place. The word desolate here refers to an area that is deserted, remote, and solitary. It can mean a place that is uninhabited wilderness, like a desert, or it could even mean grasslands. But he he goes to a place where there is no other person. In Mark's gospel, we are told that Jesus went there uh, to not just get away from people, but also to pray. After a day of performing miracles, Jesus needed to get alone and communicate with the Father. Even Jesus needed time alone with God to refresh and be re-energized. Now we're going to read more of Jesus' practice of praying and get alone next, in the next chapter. But suffice it to say, for now, that Jesus needed to be strengthened and recuperate from his work in his ministry. However, as we read just that short passage, that respite did not last very long as the people eventually found him. And they wanted to keep him from leaving the town. Now, that's understandable, isn't it? No one ever taught like Jesus. This Jesus, this teacher, exuded authority. There was something about him that was remarkably different. And this authority was just not as his teaching, which was amazing, but is also uh, the, his healing people from all sorts of different diseases and illness and various maladies. His authority even extended into the supernatural realm as the demons trembled in fear of him and obeyed his commands to be silent and to exit their human host. They did not want to lose a good thing. They wanted to keep them for himself or keep him for themselves. And as we continue through Jesus' earthly ministry, we will learn that this is a common Response to his ministry. Typically, he would enter a town and begin to teach and heal, and people were reluctant for him to leave. After the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to forcibly make him king, yet Jesus knew what was in their heart. Their motivation was not a sign of their acceptance of his identity and of his ministry and his role as Messiah, but the expectation of his wondrous, miraculous power. It was a selfish motive that fueled their behavior not worship theologian joel green remarks that the crowds here are still potential disciples they're potential disciples but for now they remain intent on securing the gracious activity of jesus for themselves and i'm sad to say just as a side editorial note i believe there are many people like that today they fill the pews of churches. They watch uh, churches online and so on and so forth. And they're potential disciples. However, their main thing is just to get something from Jesus. They want God in their lives so that they can be better employees, better, better husbands, or to give them a better wife. They're looking to Jesus as a, as a self-motivator uh, or as something to make their life better. You know, add Jesus and add water. You know, just that will make their life better. But we need to see that's a selfish, mode. that's a potential disciple, that's not a true follower of Christ. Their desire, and this is important, their desire for Jesus to meet their needs. Now listen to this, because I think some of us many times can, can be swayed by this or be moving into this area. Their desire for Jesus to meet their needs actually serves to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission in preaching the kingdom of God. By preventing him from accomplishing his ministry, they have inadvertently have joined the demons in their adversarial work of rejecting and rebelling against God. And let it not be said that we, at times, find ourselves joining with Satan in that type of work as well. In verse 42, we read that Jesus simply replied to their urgent request, that I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And that's where we're going to camp this morning. In this declaration, Jesus is giving Luke's readers and us as well today certainty of Jesus' mission and purpose. And is this not the question that all of us want? Is it not certainty about our purpose, the reason for our existence? These are the age-old questions that philosophers have been asking from all time. The reason for man-made religions and the substance of self-assessments is to answer the question of who am I? How did I get here? What is my purpose? Here we see that Jesus suffers from no self-delusion or ignorance or questioning. Instead, we see a self-awareness, a confidence, and self-centeredness, or singleness of mind, a centeredness of the mind. He knows who he is, and he knows what his purpose is. It's to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to all the towns of the Jewish people. It's specific, like an arrow that is true to its target. Jesus is single-minded, and he's not going to be persuaded by neither the winds of popularity or the request of the populace, to veer from that target, from that mark of what he is sent to be accomplished. Now, very simply, if you're taking notes, Jesus' main pers- per, uh, uh, purpose was to teach, was to preach. Yes, his ministry included healings and exorcisms, the quieting of the seas and the the winds, the walking on the water, and even the rising up of the dead. However, his main purpose was to preach. In this sentence, we find three things. Number one, Jesus was sent by God to preach the good news. Jesus was sent by God to preach the news. Now, if you want to finish out that sentence, Jesus was sent by God to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He had a specific message to preach. And to continue on that sentence, Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God specifically to the Jews, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus knew exactly why he was there. And this was his purpose, and he was not going to be deterred or deterred from that practice. Now, at this point, you might interject, as I did as I was preparing this message. Doesn't the Bible also say that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and bring in the favor of the Lord, as we've already seen in Luke? Does the Bible not always tell us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to not to be served, but to serve? Does it also say that he was to come to give his life as a ransom for many and to destroy the works of the devil? Yes, you would be correct. Jesus came to do all those things, but his main purpose was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, specifically to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now what is interesting is that God has ordained that he would accomplish all All of those things, those things that we said, destroy the works of the devil, to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom, to serve. He would accomplish all of those things by preaching of the gospel. Now, if you and I were to gather a committee of very smart people, maybe people like you, and we were to put him in a conference room to discuss and decide how best to market Jesus and his ministry, most would agree that supernatural displays of wonder and miracles would be the most attractive and successful way of doing it. Yet, these things did serve to drive Jesus' popularity among the crowds. It did enhance his image. Yet, at the same time, it exposed the hearts of those who wanted just to be served and entertained. No, God decided that he would advance his kingdom through the simple preaching of his word. Now, in this passage, Luke includes the kingdom of God, which is written about 31 times in Luke. In Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God. Now, as we think of the kingdom of God, when you think of kingdom, typically you're going to think of a territory, something that is controlled by a king. But in, in scripture, when you see the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, those are synonymous. That's not talking about territory, but the rule, the rule of God. And the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach is the rule of God who will come to, uh, to rule in righteousness, in justice, in justice and in peace. It is the preach as a reality here and now, for the kingdom of God is what? At hand, Jesus taught. But it also is a future hope. You and I are looking for that day. We know that we do not see righteousness, peace, and justice today. Hence why people are out in the streets, right? That's their complaints. But the answer is, the kingdom of God is coming. It's not a territory, but it's the rule of God. The kingdom of God has appeared and he is gathering all of his, God's children and he's warning that the judgment awaits all those that have rejected and rebelled against God's rule. That's what he was specifically to preach, that the kingdom of God, the rule of God is here and is coming. Accept it, if you will. Rejected at your peril. Jesus tells his audience that he must preach. Which means that it's necessary, proper, and inevitable. Now with it, I want to share with you four points about preaching. Why is preaching important? Why is that his purpose? Why isn't it all the other things on the side things that bring people in? So four points. The first one is you and I need to recognize the preeminence of preaching. The preeminence of preaching. That it's most important. In our scripture reading earlier, Landon read Paul's view of preaching... When he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He then goes on to state that since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Not through philosophy, not through logic and reason, though you can find God through those things. He created it. He is a logical God who, who created reason. He is reason. But it's not through that that we can find God. But it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. So it is through the preaching of God's word that is preeminent. Commenting on this verse, Pastor James Boyce wrote that preaching is that wise means of God by which the wisdom of the world is shown to be foolishness. And it's the folly of the gospel as the world conceives it is shown to be true wisdom. It is not through displays of miracles and healings and sign gifts that God has ordained the spreading of the good news of the kingdom. Paul would later remark that out of all of the gifts of the spirit prophecy which is means the preaching of God's word is the greatest of all gifts. Now, for many, that seems foolish. We would rather see signs and wonders. We believe that others would be more drawn to God if He could heal and exorcise demons and move mountains. However, that is not God's plan. It's the preeminence of the preaching. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 16. And in there, Jesus tells a story of the rich man who, after a life of pleasure and ease, dies and finds himself in hell, while Lazarus, who was a poor man that begged at this rich man's gate, dies the same night and is found in heaven. Read with me silently as we pick up the conversation in verse 24 as the rich man is speaking. And in there he sees Abraham. And he called out in verse 24, Father Abraham of Luke 16, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip uh, dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguish and flame. Here he is now. Now the roles are reversed. Send the beggar to me who is at at ease and is in the presence of God. Just Just dip his finger in water and just let it touch. He's not asking for a canteen, a bottle of water, a water cooler. He says just let him dip just so I can feel a moment of refreshment. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 16. Am I in the right chapter? Okay, good. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things. And Lazarus and lack he received bad things. Now, he doesn't go and tell us the difference between them. We're not talking about inequality there of outcomes and things of that nature. It's just a fact of life. But now he is comforted in here and you are anguished. And besides all this between us and and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27. And then he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. If you will not do that for me, then send him to my father's house. For in verse 28, I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also may come to this place of torment. He he sees that there's no way out. He gives up all hope and he says, well, then send it to my five brothers that they may not suffer as I do. But verse 29, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets let them what hear them and he said no father abraham but if someone goes to them from the dead they will repent give them someone that rises from the grave they will definitely see that they will be surprised and they will definitely listen to their that's a wonderful sign of miracle power there's no way that they would ever reject such great things verse 31 And what does Yahweh say? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The preeminence of God's word, even over the rising of someone from the dead, the preeminence of preaching. The preaching of the gospel is preeminent over all other types of communications and actions. Some may object and say, what about living out the gospel then? What some may call the social gospel or the gospel of justice. Does not God require justice and mercy? Are we not commanded to meet the needs of others with love? Let me say emphatically, yes, definitely, definitely. However, some have taken this approach and appointed it above the preaching of the gospel. One popular phrase that is falsely, by the way, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, captures this sentiment. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. See, all we have to do is... Feed the hungry, and that is a wonderful thing to do, and we should be doing that. Or we should just be doing random acts of kindness. We should be paying for someone's meal at Chick-fil-A that's behind us. We should be doing all these wonderful things. However, this thought, this attitude is wrong and dangerous in this one fact. We are to be the the hands and feet of Jesus in sharing the good news. The good news can and should be incarnational, meaning it is to be lived out in the flesh. However, we must not be fooled into just acting out the gospel without proclaiming it. In other words, to give someone a sandwich, to give someone a band-aid, to build a hospital, and not to proclaim the gospel is not enough. One pastor that I enjoy following Twitter, and if you guys are on Twitter, follow this pastor, uh, Dustin Benge, B-E-N-G-E, Dustin B-E-N-G-E. You're going to hear a lot from him. Uh, he's just one of those guys, he's just spiritually, supernaturally has wisdom. He tweets this, when I say preach the gospel, he says, I don't mean that Christians shouldn't have a voice fighting against injustice, we should. The church should be vocal or abortion, or abuse, etc. I mean that many evangelicals have forgotten that activism, listen to this, activism doesn't transform the heart. You can house everyone, feed everyone, give everyone the same type of education. It will not transform the heart. Only preaching the gospel does that. And that's what we're about. That's why preaching is preeminent. In other words, and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say here. Thinking that it is enough to just live out the gospel implications, being a good neighbor, taking out your neighbor's trash, saying hello to people, being kind through social justice or social gospel, hoping that they will catch the gospel without ever sharing or preaching the gospel, Is like playing gospel charades. You're hoping that they get the answer. They will not. Now, can those things lead us and give us an opportunity to earn their trust and to share the gospel? Yes. But I can tell you what, we can spend all the money that we do helping the Friendly Center here, helping with people. But if we never share the gospel to those people, then what have we accomplished eternally? That is not what God has called us to do. To feed the hungry, comfort the afflicted, to encourage the faint-hearted, and strengthen the weak comes from living out the implications of the gospel, but to leave them in that condition is spiritual malpractice. And many of us may be guilty of that this morning. That's for you and the Holy Spirit to determine by the end of this message. Unfortunately, for many, we have forgotten and neglected the most important mission of Jesus. Again, quoting Pastor Benj, I never imagined we'd we'd witness a time when evangelicals stop believing that the proclamation of the gospel was enough. It's the preeminence of the gospel. The second point is the purpose of preaching. Why is it? Pre- what is the purpose of preaching? To understand the mission and purpose of Jesus, we must first understand that the world is lost and heading for judgment without the good news. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42 and 43, Peter says, Jesus had commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the anointed one by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's salvation in only one name. One day everyone will stand before God and be judged the living and the dead. And it's going to become through only the forgiveness of sin. The Apostle Paul writes in the necessity of preaching to the church of Rome when he promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? We'll be saved, thank you. But how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, not those who heal, not those who build hospitals, not those who, who feed the, the homeless or the hungry, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. See, God has ordained that faith comes through hearing the word of God preached. Not through signs and wonders and miracles. However you and I may ask in this day and age, Why would God use men standing in front of a group of people and give a monologue? Why would that be? You and I would not choose that way. That's boring. Wouldn't drama and music and other tools of communication be better, more efficient, more entertaining? And I'll tell you, I have been at at some churches that do that and do that well. I mean, in a professional sense. And it was entertaining. But then the preaching of God's word was not preeminent. It was just something to get you through to the next stage. Would these things be better? Probably. And many churches have left the preaching of God's word for those very things. And they have attracted large crowds. However, there is no power in those activities. Faith only comes from the hearing of the word of Christ. The writer of Hebrews informs us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen. See, we desire to see things. We want to see it to believe it. For by it, the Hebrews writes, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that it was that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. But then he also goes on in Hebrews eleven six 6 that without faith is impossible to please God. And the only way that you and I could ever make it into eternal life is through faith. And faith only comes through the sharing, the preaching, the teaching of God's word. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. The purpose of preaching is to bring people to faith. Hence, that's why it's preeminent. And this leads us to the third point of preaching. That's the power of preaching, the power of preaching. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul testifies that he is not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. He will tell his spiritual son Timothy to not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner. Paul was in prison at the time. But to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Why would one submit? I ask this question to you as you think about our heroes of the faith, the disciples. Uh, maybe you've heard of the book of uh, the, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, you can get it very cheap, or you can even get it for free online. I would encourage you to read that book. Why? And ask yourself, why would someone submit to imprisonment, ridicule, rejection, torture, and even death to preach the gospel? What was it that would cause them to continue, in spite of the threats, to continue to preach the gospel? Because it has the power to transform lives. It is the vehicle in which the Holy Spirit replaces our heart of stone with the heart of flesh. It is the mode by which God opens our eyes so that we may see His beauty and desire Him above all other things. And it is through the preaching and acceptance of the gospel that has told us that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The only way you and I are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is through the preaching, the power of the gospel. It is through the power of preaching that we are able to fulfill the works that God has created us to accomplish on this planet and that is desperate for hope and dying, or for those that are desperate for hope and those that are dying under the curse of sin and death. Darrell Harrison of Grace To You tweets that the root cause of all hatred, including that of ethnic prejudice, is sin. Sin will always be the root cause, always. All because sin will always be the root cause of the problem of hatred. Regardless of how that hatred manifests itself, the gospel will always be the only solution. We need hearts transformed, not behavior modified. And minds changed. Only the gospel can do that. The power of the gospel. Of the preached word. And then number four. Is the practicality of preaching. The practicality. Meaning that you and I can do it. It's easy. Before his crucifixion. Jesus promises disciples. In John chapter 14 verse 12. You know this verse. Before his crucifixion. He said truly truly I say to you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now that gets your attention. All right. Jesus did some miraculous things. And greater works, he says, than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now before you jump out to Irvine Lake or to Pacific Ocean, take off your shoes and start walking on water, we need to consider what he's really saying there. With that promise, many believers through the ages have anticipated giving sight to the blind, causing the lame to walk, helping the deaf to hear, exercising demons, and moving mountains. And it is true that many of the apostles accomplished these great feats of faith in the name of Christ. However, we have mistaken this promise that we should expect every believer to do this same thing pastor john MacArthur notes writing of this passage he says jesus did not mean greater works in power but in extent jesus could only heal or he was limited to healing to those that were there he did not just step up he could just stepped up in jerusalem went to that temple right and says i heal all of judea no we just see that he's tired why because he's limited to going to person to person So it's the extent, it's the depth of Jesus' ministry. They would become witnesses, speaking of the disciples, to all the world through the power of the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he would bring many to salvation because of the helper dwelling in them. The focus, he writes, is on spiritual rather than physical miracles. The practicality is that you and I cannot do those things. He has not promised that to us. And we should not expect that. No, it's the practicality of the teaching and preaching of God's word. For we all can do that in some form or fashion. You say, I'm not sure if I could. Well, turn to Matthew chapter 8, 28, if you would. First book of the New Testament. Last chapter, if you could just turn to that real quickly. You know where I'm going. It's one of our main verses of our our church. (laughs) Matthew 28. Jesus has taken this authority and he has extended it to you and I through the Great Commission. Look at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How do we make disciples? By preaching. They hear God's word. The Holy Spirit gives them a new heart. Their lives are transformed. They are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into light. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and I know I go through these verses quickly. If you want to write them down, you could. And by the way, if anyone ever wants just a copy of the message, I can send it to you as long as you don't uh, use it in such a way that will embarrass me. <laughs> Especially when you see my grammar, because I'm making a lot of changes as I go through here in punctuation. But in 2 Timothy 4.1, for those of you who were, who were number one in your Bible class of Bible sword drills, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, what does he say? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What does the world need today? It needs not only me to preach the word and churches to preach the word. It needs you. What is the solution to every problem that you will face? It's the preaching of the word. Preaching to your spouse, preaching to yourself, your friends, your family. It's telling them to reprove. That means to correct. Rebuke means to show them where they're wrong. But then also with complete patience and teaching them how to correct. That's 2 Timothy um, 2.15, 3.16, I believe. I may be getting it wrong. Doctrine is or Bible is profitable. Paul does warn in Philippians 1.15 that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but he also he says from goodwill. That's how you and I should teach. And, and I'll admit there have been many times that I have shared the word, preached the word, uh, not so much out of envy, but more so just to win an argument. You no know, patience, speaking the truth in love, a desire to see people's lives transformed. It is with this attitude of goodwill that you and I are called to preach and share the gospel. The word preach means to proclaim. And though you may not be blessed with a strong baritone voice or a pleasant voice or an attractive accent or a silver tongue, you and I can with confidence share the good news of the kingdom of God. That Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Amen? That's the message that you and I have to preach and teach. What the rich man needed was not to be poor, and it's not what Lazarus needed was for equal outcomes. What they needed was to be saved from their sin. And you and I need to share that message today. Our wives and our husbands, our spouses, we need to be saved from our sins. Our children need to be forgiven of their sins. Our our family, our friends need to know that one day they will stand before God and give accounts. And there is no excuse that will save them from God's wrath. That will be poured out. Proclaiming is something that all believers can do with confidence and certainty. Are there things that you and I must know, believe, and do? Yes. And we must learn how to do that. But that's the beauty of the local church. We are a community of believers that proclaim the kingdom of God by evangelizing, by sharing together the gospel, by discipleship, by teaching each other, and by uh, training, by leadership, bringing in men and women into leadership positions. Together, OVBC, we can accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us, the same one that the Father gave to Jesus to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I want to leave you with one warning. If you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, you can do that, or you can look at it a little bit later. There is a quick warning. He says, if anyone teaches, and I'm going to insert, I think, with some permission, or shares a different doctrine. Now, in there, he's not talking about Calvinism or Miniism. He's not talking about when Christ is coming. He's talking about the Word of God. If anyone teaches a different gospel and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that leads to godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is the fool. That's described in Proverbs. He is an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. What is he saying there? Is your doctrine, your your orthodoxy will move to your orthopraxy. how you live out. And so we must be careful about what we teach, what we preach, what we share, how we counsel our family and our friends. And many times we share things that are anti-biblical and we don't know it. And we find ourselves pushing thoughts and, and solutions that inadvertently put us on the side of demons. So let's be careful of what we share, how we counsel, how we teach, and how we preach. For one day, you will stand before God and give an account. And God, if you would imagine, will pull up a scene from your life, maybe an interaction with a family or a friend or or a co-worker or or someone else, and and maybe they're asking for counsel, and, and you gave them the counsel of men rather than the counsel of God. How will we answer Or maybe an instance where someone says, I just don't know what my purpose in life is. And instead of giving them direction to the creator who created us. Or maybe the way we taught, we treated someone else. We're all created in God's image. How do we treat one another is important. We're all created in God's image and all have value in just that fact that Jesus is, came to die for sinners. No matter your social, economic status, no matter your ethnicity, no matter the the amount of melon in your skin, Christ died for you. That is the message we're to preach and teach. Now, Jesus had a specific people. He was there just for Judea. And you see there, he went around to the synagogues of Judea. What is he saying there? I'm just coming to them. It would leave it up to Peter and Paul to to send it to the Gentiles. You too have a specific person. The people that are in your immediate influence, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. And may that be extended at times? Yes. But you have a specific people. Those things are ordained moments. Remember, they're not interruptions. And you and I will one day be held account. Did you share the gospel? Give them a track. Say something good about Do a gospel implication, praying that you may have an opportunity to share why you do those things. Let's not be caught in gospel charades, making ourselves feel good, but then wondering, why didn't they get it? Well, so what? I got mine. Once again, I recommend Pastor Dustin Benj. I'm going to close with this last message or this last tweet. For those who desire to stand on the truth of Scripture, we must play the long game. Cultures change. And any of you who who are past 40, past 50, understand this. Cultures change. Tweets disappear. Ideologies rise and fall. Platforms fade away. But when the dust settles, when the dust settles, God's mandate remains. Preach the word. We need to be a community that prizes the preaching of the cross. And I believe this church has come a long way in that. This is what we do. This is our main thing is to share and preach the gospel. We need to be a community that desires to hear the word of God. And I thank you for being here because you you made it preeminent. You made it an appointment for you to be here. We need to have a community that sacrifices to send out others to preach the good news so that they too may hear. And I want to encourage you, if you have not yet been, been involved in missions, giving above your tithes and offerings, please do so. Just mark it, just for missions. And, and, and we can increase what we're doing in sending out the gospel. We need to be a community that is willing to go out and share the gospel. We need to be a community that embraces God's design in advancing his kingdom one heart at a time submitting to him. So the mission of the church, let me close, is to preach the gospel. The mission of every Christian is to preach the gospel. The internal destination of all people is based on their response to the preaching of the gospel amen there we had a uh, bowed and every eye closed i'm gonna ask the worship team to come up i just want to take you to ask you for a moment to take a moment just to pause what i've shared i've shared very quickly some i think important thoughts something that we do we take for granted something that we think that we pay someone else to do however these are things that we are to be involved in as well only scripture has answers that haunt humanity are you too sinful jesus came to save sinners are you too helpless jesus saves with his power are you too filthy jesus robes you in his righteousness are you too empty jesus fills you with life stop looking at yourselves cling to jesus the word of the gospel transforms lives Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. Work in our hearts, Lord, that we may preach the gospel, that we may see the preeminence of your word, that we may dedicate ourselves to the the listening and the hearing of your word and then share it with gladness to others. May we see the power that it has. May we see the, the purpose behind it and the practicality that we are all preachers and teachers and sharers of your word. be ever-present in your life.